0: This program is brought to you by BibleWayMedia.org. Overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. I want to welcome you back to Bible Studies with Russ. I know we have had a, several weeks of a break due to some illness and things, but I'm glad to be back here with you uh, today. We're picking up today Matthew chapter 27 and verse 19. Uh, Matthew 27, verse 19. If you back up just a little bit, you'll notice in about verse 13 uh, many Bibles have the heading taking the place of Barabbas and this is where we left off is in the midst of this in verse 19 some begin reading in verse 15 in Matthew 27 going up and picking up in verse 19 when we left off uh, last time so beginning in Matthew 27 verse 15 the Bible says now the feast at the feast the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished and at that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who was called Christ? For he knew they had handed him over because of envy. Now, I believe some last time we talked about how Barabbas was a notorious uh, criminal. He was known for uh, basically encouraging riots. He was a murderer and a thief. I believe I don't know if it's Mark or Luke. Uh, now he bears that out. Uh, but he was indeed a a very much a criminal, uh the almost the com- the most complete opposite of Christ you could possibly think of. And as I mentioned last time, perhaps that's why uh Pilate chose him, they can, surely they wouldn't uh choose Barabbas. Surely they would release uh Christ. Uh maybe perhaps even uh, at least on a lesser sentence and still release Christ. But uh they didn't. They didn't choose Barabbas. They chose or uh, they, or they didn't uh, choose Christ to release. They chose Barabbas, leaving Christ uh, imprisoned, and and then calling for his crucifixion. We find in verse 19 of Matthew 27. Here the Bible says, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife came uh, to him, saying, "Have nothing to do with that just man. for I have, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him." Now this is very uh interesting here. This is again Pilate's wife, and she makes mention here of a of a dream that she had concerning Christ. Uh tradition, again this is according to whenever I quote from a commentator, it's always from Brother Max Patterson, if you have you heard me mention before. Uh he says here that tradition says his wife's name was uh Prosea. I'm not pronouncing this correctly. It's it's spelled P R O. C L C L A, so maybe Procla. Uh, I read that a little bit differently. Uh, her dreams had indicated Jesus was a just man. Her message surely unnerved the weak and spineless Pilate. The person says here, dreams were considered uh, as an indication of the divine will, and this was true among the Greeks and Romans as well as the Jews. Uh, the word just here, as it's used in verse nineteen, uh, is a sense of innocent. Somehow she knew he was innocent. If her dreams were miraculous, as they believed, uh, then her suffering may have been a, a danger signal, in a sense. And so, again, she's, she tells him have nothing to do with that just man. He's, you know that's pretty clear to understand. Stay away from him. Get away from him. Uh, don't, don't be involved. He is a just man, she says there. But then she says something very interesting. She says, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him i don't think suffered here literally means that she was injured in any way but the idea there that these this dream we probably would call a nightmare today uh but she mentions there uh today meaning that she perhaps she had this uh during the daytime we don't know if she was napping or she's just implying the day today as in you know the following the previous evening leading up to you know the daytime where the case may be it it seems that this was what we call today definitely a nightmare uh and when we have a nightmare we do uh it is a moment of of suffering in the sense that uh it it shakes us it's it scares us you might say it rattles us a little bit uh in verse 19 definitely uh this dream she had or she says here uh she suffered many things today in a dream because of him Uh, or related to him, and so uh, no doubt this dream uh, had rattled her to the point that she's now talking to Pilate. Well, Pilate was already rattled, you might say, really because of the Jews and things they were trying to do, because of the sentence they were seeking, uh, no doubt he was getting agitated, and now uh, his wife is coming uh, to him in the midst of him trying to show Barabbas as one who they should uh, take, and and then allow Christ to be released. Uh, but in the midst of it all, she has this dream, and she comes and tells her husband about it. Verse twenty says, "But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes." This is really going back to what we saw in verses fifteen uh, through seven uh, through eighteen again. Remember that Pilate says here he, he knew they had handed him over because of because of envy. Uh, there in verse uh, 18, in verse 20 says, but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. There in verse 20, again, it's the so-called religious people who are telling the the ones actually calling for it. Uh, but they are persuading the people to say, ask for Barabbas to be released, and we want Christ to be uh, destroyed there. And verse 20, often a mob must be told the direction to go, as Brother Patterson points out. In this case, the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude, uh, no doubt no doubt more of a mob now in this situation, and he persuaded them to ask for Barabbas. Um Obviously, their motive was to, as the verse says here in verse 20, to destroy Jesus. That would include killing him in the hopes that, uh, you might say, that everything he stood for would come to an end. And we, of course, know that uh, most definitely did not happen. Uh, verse 21 says, The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Uh, there in verse 21. Uh Strong's when you talk about Barabbas, Strong's refers to him as a captive robber whom the Jews begged Pilate to release instead of Christ there in verse twenty one. And so they asked they asked who do you want? And they said Barabbas. Verse twenty two, Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Now it would seem, you know, Pilate has many faults, but it would seem also here in verse twenty two that he was really stunned by their response. I don't, it would seem to me, anyway, that he, I don't think he really expected him to say, crucify him. Uh, but that's exactly what they call for. And verse 23 really is one of the reasons why I say that he may be surprised by this, because his response is, why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more saying let him be crucified I mean they ignored his question of what evil has he done which is what we see a lot today people ask for something demand something rather uh, we question it the reason behind it and many times there's not a, there's no response to that it's just the crowd just yells louder well that's what happened in verse 23 they responded by saying uh, but it says here but they all cried out the more they ignored the question why why do it they ignored and just say cry even louder He says here, but they cried all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw, notice here verse 24, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all. Now, I think this is where many people apply this idea of him being a coward, and he is in many ways, but we have to remember, of course, that uh, one, Christ is going to go to the cross, that is uh, prophecy. Uh, There was no way he wasn't going to go to the cross, out of necessity and prophecy and God's will and all those things. Uh, but also we find here that he just basically just gives into the crowd. We cannot be like Pilate in that way. We can't, when the crowd gets loud, doesn't mean, well, we better just give in and go along with it. No. We today, you know, there's no prophecy today concerning that we must give in like Pilate, who's going to, have to eventually allow this to happen because this is prophecy. Uh, whether, you know, he didn't know that uh, or at least it wasn't seem that way. But for us today, when the crowd gets loud, it uh, doesn't mean we should just give up. doesn't mean we should just go along with it. That's what Pilate does here in verse 24. He, when he saw that he could not prevail at all, but the, rather that a tumult, we might say that a riot uh, was rising. Uh, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it, there in verse uh, 24. Um <laughs> We find here that he washes his hands. He seems to add, you must say, a, a slap uh, at the multitude. Uh, he washes their, the Jews wash their hands when they when they wish to show they were innocent of a crime committed by others, and that seems to be what Paula is doing here. We find that in Psalm 26, verse 6, it says, I will wash my hands in, in innocence. Uh, Pilate surely knew the Jews were guilty of Jesus' death and that he was innocent. Uh, you At least, say to a degree, he he gave in. So he wants. You can't say he was completely innocent. At least I wouldn't. Uh, but did this free Pilate? No, he did not. Uh, he was bound to free an innocent man, and they chose Barabbas. And so that's who he'd have to leave or to to free. Uh, you must see, he tries to put the responsibility off off on them when he says, "I'm innocent in the blood of this just person." However, this is not to take take the responsibility away from him there in verse 24 because he is uh, the one in charge. He is the one who just eventually just says, okay, just go and do what you want him to do. Verse 25, When all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. What a crazy statement. His blood be on us and on our children, meaning let us be the price and our children pay the price. Well, that's true, you're going to, but what incredibly dark statement to make uh, the multitude seem to be proud to take the responsibility uh, there in verse 25 uh, think of what came upon them in the last 40 years their city and temple were destroyed more than a million perished in the seizing, in the seizing of the city of jerusalem and surrounding areas thousands died by famine by disease and by the sword blood is said to have run down the streets thousands were crucified suffering the same punishment inflicted upon jesus uh, I think I said it correctly, in less than 40 years, not in the last 40 years, but in less than 40 years, that is from the time these events transpired to the time, uh, to about 40 years after that, uh, these things began to take place. Uh, these people did not have the slightest idea of what they were saying when they asked that their that his blood be upon them and on their children, because you get to Acts chapter 2, or excuse me, Acts, Acts chapter 2, rather, uh, that's some of the things that Peter talks about, that they did you have crucified Christ. You have took the son of God and you have crucified him there in Acts chapter two. Looking at verse, uh, 26. And then he released Barabbas to them. And we have scourged Jesus. He delivered him to be crucified there in verse 26. Uh, Pilate released or let, let go Barabbas. Scourging, uh, was done to inflict greater suffering than crucifixion alone and to add to the horrors of the punishment. Uh, scourging basically what would happen i'm gonna put it in, in very brief detail they would take him off roman soldiers would and many historians say that he would either uh have his arms tied to a pulse with him up in the air some have him uh depending on what historian you're reading and probably depending on however they want to do it that day i guess they would maybe perhaps uh have him uh lean over a a stump and then tie his hand so that he had, could not get up. He was just, just leaning over, hunched over that stump, and they would take and just beat him on his back uh, with with uh, whips and then also with what was called a cat tails, which was designed, to put it briefly, just to tear flesh and skin off the person. And then some historians talk about how, after they get done with the back, they then flip him over and do his chest. Uh, I'm not 100% sure on that, Um Most of the time, the the pain is described as being placed upon his back, and then uh, wherever the whips, you know, wrapped around, wherever they hit, uh, would be affected as well. Um, And so, he would just be severely beaten. uh, But he had to be have enough strength to go to the cross, to be nailed, and then die on the cross. They were not uh, the point. At least for this time, was not for them to be to kill this man. uh, Not through scourging, though it easily could happen, uh, because he. You might say he was beat. Sometimes I say within an inch of his life, but that really isn't true. He was he was beaten enough that he died within. Uh, if I'm correctly, I think it was about six hours on the cross, uh, and so he was beaten very severely, and then taken to be uh, put on the cross. And so you could say he was tortured, and then he was tortured some more by them placing him on the cross. And then it, he was tor- being tortured the whole time. He remained on the cross uh, because you can't only he can say that his torture stopped after being nailed to the cross because it didn't. Uh, it lasted the entire duration from the time he was scourged. Uh, the scourging began to the time he died. It was just one long process of torture. Uh, he was scourged and then remember I remember that uh, Matthew may make mention of this as well here. The soldiers mocked him. Um, If you continue on looking at verse 27, And the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium, this is after the scourging, and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Now, if you think about this, uh, if you've been beaten severely, you know, that's what the scourging was, and then you you have someone put a piece of clothing over the wounds, um, well, what would, well, what happened is if they, when they put those things on him, that the the blood and 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 the clothing uh the clothing would suck up would soak up some of the blood but then it also would adhere to all those wounds he had and then so that's what would happen when they put that scarlet robe on him there uh in verse uh 28 so we see in verse 27 the soldiers of the governor took jesus in the praetorium they gathered the whole garrison around around him they stripped him and they put a scarlet rope on him that's like what we said a moment ago all you know, that robe is going to get into all those wounds soak up some blood but then also it's going to basically attach to him in a very unpleasant way uh, verse 29 says when they had twisted a crown of thorns it is, they took thorns and, and uh, I'm not exactly sure how they know what thorns that it's, its that they used here um, some say the thorns have been very long I, I don't I'm not sure how we know that, but any thorns would be painful, but they would twist those thorns until they until they fashioned a crown out of it uh there in verse twenty nine and they put it on his head i don't care if the thorns are very long or not some will say it some have said that they're an inch much as an inch long and they jammed into his head. Maybe historians bring some of that to light. I'm not 100% sure on that, uh, but um, even if they're even, but even if they're small thorns like rosebush thorns, which I've never heard my say that's what they are, um, it's still not going to be pleasant. It's still going to hurt. Uh, if you look at verse uh, 29 there, um, let's see. So the crown of thorns it was was uh, as many say was right to ridicule him because Jesus is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But well, this was done out of mockery, obviously. Um, there in verse twenty seven, there in uh, verse twenty eight and twenty nine there, and I lost my, my place there. My program moved on me. Um. So, verse twenty-nine. So they twisted a the crown of the thorns and put it on his head, and the reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, "Hail, King of the Jews." Uh, verse twenty-nine. Then they put a verse thirty. Then they put a. Then they sped on him and took the reed and struck him on his head. Uh, and so they're mocking him. They're ridiculing him. They're putting this. This you know. This mockery of a crown on his head that's going to hurt, they give him a reed, and they're they're mockingly bowing down to him, then they spit on him there in verse verse thirteen and they they hit him with the reed the reed and they struck him on the head with it uh, when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, which would hurt uh, and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified and so it seemed he had his own clothes on him that would prob possible here they that those clothes had adhered to those wounds they were taken off, which would hurt robe put on. Beaten, mocked, robe taken back off, but hurt again. And his other, and his old clothes put back on, and they led him away to be crucified. There, verse thirty-one, and so that's why I say that from the time he was he was scourged from the beginning of his scourging to his death, it was just torture. Uh, you think about it, even just walk. You know he couldn't carry his cross. As the Bible tells us. um Verse thirty two, Now as they came out they found a man of Cyrene, some of my name, him they compelled to bear his cross. Why? Because he couldn't carry it. Uh, he was beaten so severely and so weak that he couldn't carry this cross. And and these this is not some little cross that you see today. Some people they'll talk about um, this really bothers me. You hear people tell about how they're gonna they're you know they're carrying the cross of Christ and you see people pull one down the road and it has wheels in the bottom of it. Um, I've seen one where a guys attached it to his car. Uh, you know, if you're proud of your faith, whether you you know even if you're a member of a denomination of some type, okay, I mean, if I don't agree with it, but putting a cross in your car or pulling a cross in the road with the wheels on it or even if it didn't, um, <laughs> first of all, we have to realize of course, obviously this is not we are not called to literally carry our cross. we are called to carry our burdens of being a faithful christian um and really many times in my opinion. <laughs> when I see those things, I've never heard anyone have a positive response to that. Now, of course, I haven't heard everybody in the world look at and hear their response, but the responses I have heard are not positive. It's That's ridiculous. That looks, to me, it's almost like it's, it does more harm than it does good. Uh, and so um, when we talk about carrying our cross or Christ carrying the cross here, this wasn't some little dinky little, you know, Fence posts that's, that has wheels on it. Uh, these were large beams that he was carrying. Look at verse thirty-two. Uh, he wasn't able to carry it. Uh, in fact, if you look at um, John nineteen verse seventeen, says that Jesus went forth uh, bearing the cross. Uh, but Luke answers by saying in verse twenty-six, and when the hit and as he led away, they laid hold. They laid hold upon one Simon. Uh, a Cyrenian coming out of the country and and him, they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus and so Christ he came out, it would seem that Christ came out carrying it and then he couldn't carry it all the way, he was too weak and um, they uh, grabbed Simon of the Cyrene and he carries it the rest of the way. Uh, Looking at verse uh, and this moved again on me If you look at now uh, verse 33, When he had come to a place called Golgotha, that is that is to say, place of a skull, they give him sour wine, mingled with gall, to drink, but when he had tasted it, he would not drink, verse 34. So, uh, wine or vinegar is, according to most manuscripts, that's used here in verse 34. Vinegar was often made of wine, it and may, it may be called either. Gall is ordinarily a bitter secretion from the liver, they can also denote anything exceedingly bitter as wormwood. Mark has uh, myrrh here instead of gall in Mark fifteen thirty-two. It may have been both. Myrrh was bitter, was a bitter substance. Myrrh might, might make this uh, sour wine have a, have a better flavor, but it would act as a uh, narcotic. Uh, Jesus would not drink, either because it was bitter, or he was willing to blunt the pains uh, of dying there in verse 34. Uh, verse 35 says, Now, then they had, then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and from my clothing they cast lots, verse 35. They crucified him as a very simple way. It's amazing that these incredible acts are used, or defined by one term. Scourged him. It was a tremendous beating. The crucifixion, they would... Uh, tie him down to, or maybe not even tie him down, they place him on the cross and nail the uh, nails through his wrists, because the Romans... Uh, included the wrist as part of the hand. And because you put it through the literal hand, it was possible the nail might rip out. Uh, had, uh, that's what some historians have said. But they would put it through the wrist, below the, the wrist bone there, uh, on each on each arm, or each, as we would call it arm today. And then one nail uh, is commonly viewed as, and then one nail going through uh, both of his feet. Uh, some have said that maybe the, the uh, I've seen different things throughout <laughs> uh History and things where some have portrayed the beam having a hole where once they went through that the hand it would go through that hole and then they would uh, secure it in some way behind it, uh, some have it being actually nailed into that beam and then him, him being raised up and dropped into that hole um, either way, it was not uh, a, a pretty picture and as we look at verse thirty five we also find here um, they divide his garments casting lots that might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. There, in verse uh, thirty-five, um, this this uh, this casting lots. Uh, the King James says here mentions a venture or vesture, which means clothing or garments or cult, uh which refers to first of the clothing. Um, and so the picture at picture the foot of the cross of the casting loss is, you must say, is, is a tragedy of the ages. How this casting the loss was done uh, is not indicated. Uh, but the person points out the last two thirds of this verse is not in the better text, as he calls a better text. Uh, casting loss, many times, uh, in, in many situations, was simply writing, uh, you know, if you're, let's say, if you're. Uh, in this instance, I'm just I'm just speculating here that when they cast lots, sometimes they would say so they wanted his I don't know his his tunic, they would write tunic on on, on you know part of, on one rock, or they write you know uh, the outer uh, coat or or whatever it was, and they would cast those things out, and whichever one came up, uh, that's what they would uh, would get. Uh, some have pictured that as how they cast lots for. Um, uh, the, the disciple who placed Judas, that they would write you know, a name on the on rock, several different names on the rock, and they cast it, and when it came up, that's who they picked. Uh, perhaps something similar was done here. Uh, the text does not say specifically how that's done, uh, but it is one uh, possibility there. Uh, verse 36 says, Sitting down, they kept watch over him there. That's the Roman soldiers, and no doubt that was quite a view. Verse 37 says, And they put over his head the accusation written against him This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads, and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. So we find here that the, he is placed on the cross. The, the Roman soldiers are watching him. They place his sign over his head. Jesus, the King of the Jews. Which other accounts, uh, Mark and Luke, will point out how that upset the leaders. They asked for it to be taken down or to be changed, and they just said, "We've written what is written is written. Get over." It, basically, uh, verse 38 talks about the two robbers, which again goes back to Isaiah talking about how he was uh, he had the wicked as death, which is again referencing the two robbers one on the left hand one on the right uh, verse 39 and those who passed by blasphemed him wagging their heads which means they mocked him they shook their heads like looking at him as if he was uh, basically a phony in verse in verse 4 looking at verse 4 he says and saying you who destroyed the temple and build it in three days save yourself you're the son of god come down from the cross you remember christ said if you destroy this temple which was referencing his body that he would raise it up in three days they were still applying it to a physical temple Um, and so them saying this here in verse 40 is very interesting because his temple the body which he was referring to will be raised in three days if you're the son of god come down from the cross well he can if he wanted to it just would be. It's not according to God's will. He can't save mankind if he doesn't die on the cross. He can't pay the price for their sins if he comes down. So he's staying there, paying the price for the sins of the same, those same exact people, uh, or what includes those same people who are mocking him, the same people who scourge him, the same people who shout out, "Crucify!" He died for them as well. Verse forty-one says, "Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the mocking with the scribes and elders, said." He saved others, he himself he cannot save. If he is a king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. Now, looking here at verse 41 and 42, we know that, first of all, they're mocking him by saying this. And second of all, verse 42, if Christ came, Christ came down from the cross, they would not believe him. These are these are some of the same people who saw many of the miracles Christ did firsthand, and then they just totally ignored it. You remember... Um, I believe it's Matthew's account where the blind boy was was healed, and when they do, they completely ignored the fact that he was healed and just said, "Well, he even when he has anything to do with with Jesus is cast out of the synagogue." And so they question him, they question his parents, all that thing goes on. He eventually is kicked out, and they ignore the whole fact that hey, he was healed. Would they would they really believe Christ if he came down from the cross? No, they wouldn't. Verse 43, he trusted in God, this is them continuing on here, he trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him, uh, reviled him with the same, with the same thing. We know this, at least this was for a short time and one, it would seem, uh, would, uh, decide that, you know what, this isn't, this is a son of God. He would, he must say he came to his senses, he, he stopped reviling him, um, but at, for one at one time at least, it both did do this, um, as we see it in verse 44. Now we're going to stop there. Um, this is a, a good place where to stop. When we come back next time, uh, we will we will uh, pick back up in Matthew 27 and verse 45. I do thank you for being here with me today. Hope you have enjoyed this Bible study, and hope to see you again next time. If you are interested in the programs I take a part in, you can check out the following programs. On Mondays, I co host Cabin Talks with Ethan Scholl. On Thursdays, the Insights Podcast, the Bible Studies with Rush program, and Uncensored Dad's The Uncensored Word program, which I co host with Matt Olson. On Fridays, you can hear the Quiet Moments podcast and the Working Through the Scriptures program I co-host with Corey Orr. As always, I thank you for listening and hope you'll check out all the programs by way Media makes available. And be sure to follow us on social media.